All right, so thank you all for being here this morning, joining us for worship. Uh, it's great to be gathered with God's people, and I think we're hopefully getting this new routine figured out a little bit. So thank you all uh, for being patient with us in that. Those of you that hear me preach week after week are aware that I enjoy being outdoors. Hiking, kayaking, mountain biking, these are all hobbies I currently have. Back when I was younger, my outdoorsy pursuits tended to be more adrenaline-soaked. I did, I did whitewater kayaking, rock climbing, and went on extended wilderness excursions. Now, when you're doing outdoorsy things, a lot of what you learn feels counterintuitive. This is especially the case in life-threatening situations. For instance, if you ever go rock climbing, the person at the bottom that is belaying the person that's climbing, so you know you have a rope and it's connected up to the person up above you, they're in kind of a risky position because there's a likelihood of things falling from above. Sometimes a rock will get dislodged. Other times a piece of equipment will get dropped and you're in a vulnerable spot. So the person that is climbing up above will say, rock. They'll yell rock. And this is sort of like saying heads up in normal life. It means, hey, something's coming down. You better watch out. And the natural inclination people have is to look up and step back, right? That's what feels natural to us. But that's actually the worst possible thing that you can do. What you're supposed to do when somebody yells rock is you're supposed to look down and step forward. You step towards the cliff, towards the rock wall, because when things are coming down, they have a tendency to bounce off the cliff and bounce away from it. So actually, the closer you are to the cliff, the more likely you are to be safe. Another circumstance in which you're supposed to respond counterintuitively in outdoors situations is when you see a bear. I asked this in the first service as well. Who's ever seen a bear out in the woods? Okay, like, yeah, about the same as first service, about 50% probably. Now, when you see a bear in the woods, your mind says, run, right? Get as much distance as possible between that thing that could eat you and yourself. Run. But that's actually the exact opposite of what you are supposed to do. What you're supposed to do is stand your ground and speak authoritatively to the bear. Hey bear, you better get away from here. Hey bear, you don't wanna mess with me. You don't feel that any of these things are true. None of these things make sense as you're saying them, but it is the thing that you are supposed to do even though it feels weird and foolish. Much of how the Bible instructs us to act and think as we live our lives is counterintuitive as well. Often it even feels foolish. Today's text is one of those places in Scripture that it makes clear God's way of doing things doesn't make sense to us. In these verses from the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul challenges us to consider 
whether we will rely on our own beliefs about what is good, what is right, what makes sense, or will we trust the folly of God, which is Jesus on the cross? The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Turn with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 18 and finish up in verse 25. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18 through verse 25. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has, God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than than men. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. It is not difficult to find people in this world that think they know what is true. Everyone has a set of beliefs that they base their lives on. Normally, these beliefs are a combination of two things. People base their beliefs on their experiences. An example of this right now is the lack of belief in sin. It is easy for people not to believe in sin in the historical moment we live in because we don't live in a time filled with war and slavery and horrific injustice. What we believe is very much a product of the environment that those beliefs develop in. The other thing people base their beliefs on is what they want to be true. A common belief is that good people go to heaven. Since pretty much everyone thinks of themselves as being good, this is something people want to believe. It's not hard to understand the desire that motivates the belief. People also want to share what they think is true with others. This is mostly well-intentioned. When Aunt Susie tells you that you need to get married or she advises you on how to raise your kids, she's just trying to help. When Bob at work expresses a strong opinion on what you should do with your life, it's because 
he wants you to be happy, or maybe it's sometimes because misery loves company, I'm not sure. There's also a sense, though, that people that think differently are a threat. A person that chooses to live their life differently from me is implying that I am wrong. Their actions communicate that they know something that I don't. The more core a belief is to a person, the less they will be able to tolerate others who think and believe differently. We are constantly being inundated with truth claims. In addition to the people we actually know that we're interacting with all the time, there are experts around every corner. All you have to do is turn on the TV, go online, or subscribe to a podcast. The same individuals that promote their wisdom, their truth, will also have a self-help book that they will be happy to sell you. Underlying every commentator is a set of beliefs about how the world works. This is true even when these individuals are unaware. Most people think that the things they believe are obvious, that it's self-evident to anyone who's really paying attention. They argue for their beliefs as if this were the case. Take, for example, one of the most common beliefs in our world, that nothing is absolutely true. All truth claims are relative. Now, ironically, this is in and of itself an absolute claim. I'm not the first to point this out. The claim that all truth is relative is stating that the denial of this claim is false. The supposed, this supposed absolute truth underlies many beliefs. It is a product of the environment we live in. Our world is filled with those that want to believe it is true. Of course, nobody that makes the claim truth is relative actually lives their lives this way. Those that deny absolute truth still have a really strong idea of what is just. I've never heard of somebody coming outside and seeing that their car has been stolen and calling the cops and the cops come and they say, you know what, I've thought more about it. Don't worry about it. I'm sure that the person that stole my car just had a different understanding <laughs> of what constitutes property ownership. No, they say, I want justice. Truth can be relative so long as it is theoretical, as soon as it has bearing on our lived experience, it quickly becomes important whether the belief in question is right or wrong. The competing truth claims so prevalent in our world are not a new development. In Corinth, where Paul is writing this letter, there's an active marketplace of ideas. Different teachers 
scholars and religious leaders were telling the people what was true. They had schools of philosophy and varying religions just as we do. There were Stoics, Cynics, Epicureans, Platonists, Pagans, Cults, and Jews. I'm sure they also had their versions of Aunt Betty and Bob from work telling them what was true. We tend to think that the ideas we engage with are new. They're actually just the same recycled perspectives that have been in existence for thousands of years. Epicureans argued that pleasure was the chief good in life. Cynics were doubtful of every truth claim. That doesn't sound unfamiliar to me. You will find a variation of those philosophical perspectives on every college campus you visit. They are prevalent in our world. Like like now, most people then had beliefs that were a mix of the available options. A vaguely religious perspective, mix in a little bit of philosophy, heavily influenced by circumstance, and what the individuals wanted to believe? Most most don't realize the contradictory nature of what they claim to believe. Human beliefs that don't line up with God's truth lead to bad outcomes. We have to examine the truth claims common to our society. We must determine if they are a reliable matrix for living. According to scripture, when we do so, we will find that our truths don't actually make sense. They don't lead to wisdom. God will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning he will thwart. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? According to the wisdom of the world, then and now, the cross, which is the highest expression of God's truth, is what's foolish. It's not hard to see why this would be the case. In Paul's day, Jews were demanding a sign and Greeks were seeking wisdom. The cross didn't satisfy either desire. The Jews believed in God. They believed he had the power to do whatever he wanted to do as he had done in the Old Testament. He could make water come from the rock. He could overthrow armies. He could rewind the movement of the sun. Jesus as God incarnate being nailed to the cross in weakness, unable to resist the power of the Roman Empire, That seemed ridiculous. For them, this wasn't just a surprising development. It was an impossible thing to even imagine. The Greeks found the cross to be no more acceptable than the Jews. For them, God was more of an intellectual idea than a living being. The cross was illogical. It was vile 
and disgusting. For them, beauty and logic were the same. What could be less beautiful than the cross? The cross cannot be incorporated into pre-existing beliefs about what is true. It cannot be reconciled with how the world is used to thinking. This is no less the case today. The cross cannot just go along with other beliefs that are so common in our world. If all that is required for a person to go to heaven is that they be more good than bad, then the cross was unnecessary. It was a waste. The cross refutes the belief that life is all about being comfortable. The cross demands that the cynic have faith in a mystery. People are quite resistant to changing their beliefs. We, we all are. This makes sense. Everyone has a lot invested in what they believe to be true. Nobody wants to admit that the beliefs they have built their lives upon are faulty. I may have shared this story before, but back when I was in my 20s, I lived in this kind of working class, blue collar neighborhood just outside of a downtown area um, down in Tennessee. And I had this amazing neighbor. His name was Stuart. And Stuart was just the greatest redneck you'll ever meet. He was just a, such a nice guy, but just absolutely a redneck. And he had this little quarter acre lot, but he was not going to let the size of his land in any way impede him from his redneck pursuits. So like at one point, he built a go-kart track in the backyard for his kids. He was always working on cars and doing different things. So this one morning early in the summer, I walk out of my house and I see Stuart, or Stuart over there, and he's bought one of those pools from Walmart, you know, like the PVC pipe pools. And Stuart starts to assemble this thing. He starts to fill it with water and the water's level going up. And you see as the water level goes up, the pool's kind of starting to tilt. And Stuart was not going to let this keep him from having his pool. So he starts digging up all around the yard, you know, like trying to get dirt to support it. There's all these two by fours propping up the pool. He continues to fill the pool with water. The pool continues to tilt more. He's propping it up more and more. He's continuing to do this. This goes on and on until at one point the pool just lets go. 2,000 gallons of water just flood down through Stewart's backyard. The more effort he put into his belief that he could make the pool work, the less willing he was to address that this belief was misplaced. The way Stuart was with his pool is the way most people are with the beliefs they base their lives on. Even when it is obvious that the beliefs are not working because of what is happening in their lives, they double down. We all have this tendency. They know if you take the cross seriously, it will mean so much of the effort that has been invested will be wasted. The unwillingness 
to let go of the worldly wisdom in which so much has been invested leads many to try to incorporate the cross into their pre-existing belief system. We will see in future sermons that this is what the people of Corinth tried to do in a variety of ways. It has happened again and again over the centuries. People attempt to combine the cross with worldly truths that allow them to continue on the path they have set for themselves unimpeded. These attempts never succeed. It is through the cross that we must understand life. Pastor John Piper writes in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, that life is wasted if we do not grasp the glory of the cross. Cherish it for the treasure it is and cleave to it as the highest price of every pleasure and the deepest comfort in every pain. What was once foolishness to us. A crucified God must become our wisdom and our power and our only boast in this world. Jesus is the ultimate truth of God. The cross is the ultimate wisdom. Paul writes, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus equals God's power and wisdom. He is synonymous with it. The person of Christ is interchangeable with these divine attributes. He is the full representation of God. Power in the form of signs is what the Jews were searching for. Wisdom is what the Greeks said they wanted. Paul is saying, here you go. Here is the power of and the wisdom of God. His name is Jesus, and he proved his power and wisdom on the cross. The cross is where we see the full truth of who Jesus is. It is through God's power, it is through it that God's power and wisdom are most clear in all of history. Those Paul was writing this letter to had a lot of ideas what God should be like based on what they thought was true. They were correct that God is powerful and wise. They confused God's character with his capabilities. We often misunderstand God in the same way. Jesus had all God's capabilities. More importantly, he had God's character. That essential character of God is what sent Jesus to the cross. No person would do this. Jesus going to the cross is an idea only God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit could imagine. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Last week, I heard a National Park Ranger talk about the challenges 
of creating a trash can that bears cannot get into. I don't know if he was trying to be funny, but he said something that to me was absolutely hilarious. He said, there is considerable overlap between the intelligence of the smartest bears and the dumbest tourists. A garbage can that bears can't get into is a garbage can that some tourists can't figure out. And a garbage can that every tourist can figure out is a garbage can that some bears will be able to get into. People do not share the same overlap with God that bears share with people. Even in our best and brightest moments, we still fall short of God's wisdom. It is beyond us. No matter how powerful we are, God has infinitely more power. In the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of the cross to save those who believe. People can deny the cross. They can look to their own truth. Many do. They scoff at the cross. They ask how it makes any sense. God knows more than we know. His power is greater. Working through the cross pleased him. He chose to move creation forward through the cross. If we want to move forward with him, we must accept his ways are better than our ways. Back in Proverbs, there's a verse that says, there's a, ma- there's a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. We can go our own way. We can deny the cross of Christ. This may seem good to us in the same way it seems good to run away from, the bear, from a bear in the woods. The result of going our own way will not be good. Our truth is tainted with falsehood. Our wisdom has bad outcomes. The cross is God's wisdom and power at work. We would do better to acknowledge that the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We can trust that God knows more than we know. He has more power than we have. The wise of this age may scoff the power and wisdom of Jesus Christ will remain. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we so often see the world independently of the cross. We see it through things we've decided upon on our own or things that we've been told throughout our lives, Lord. I pray that we would have a continual recognition 
that your power and wisdom came through Jesus on the cross. And in that great mystery, that is our salvation, Lord. That is our hope. That is our wisdom and power for living, Lord. I pray that all the things that we would like to believe are true or all the things that, we, that make sense to us, Lord, I pray that they would be secondary to the cross and that our, the understanding we can gain through it would help us to see the world more clearly and would help us to experience your truth more fully. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.